Hey witches, it's Courtney. Our guest today is Thorne Davis, who is deaf and joins us with the support of ASL interpreters. These interpreters are wonderful and we are ever grateful for their contribution, but even with the best interpretation, things can get lost in translation. We encourage you to check out the audio transcript, which can be found on our website, thatwitchlife.com, under episode 33, Bealtaine and Pendulums with Thorne Davis, which Thorne has edited to ensure you enjoy the full experience of learning from them. Thanks, all. The path of the witch is so unique. The, the gift of witchcraft. I was able to see, hear, and communicate with spirits. A very personal relationship between a person and spirit. Carnal lust and fun things like that. Working with different energies and spirits and communicating. Creating magic. Powerful yeah. ritual and powerful spells. <laughs> She's actually sitting me in the cold. The role of the witch is to make change. Let's it be, y'all. Let's it be. People ask me, like, okay, I'm a witch, and I don't know what to do. Twenty years ago, three young friends realized they were witches. They scattered to different parts of the world, following magic and spirit. Now, they're back in their hometown to share what they've learned. Welcome to That Witch Life Podcast, your home for living as a witch in today's world. Welcome to That Witch Life Podcast. We're very excited to have some special guests on today. So I am joined today by my co-host, Courtney. Hey! Kanani. Hello. We are also joined by Thorne Davis, who we're very excited to have on and we'll talk to talk to about, yeah. about a little in a little bit. And then we also have two interpreters. Uh, Thorne is deaf. And so we have Mel DeLeon and Grace Tothero interpreting for Thorne. So welcome. Yes. yes. I love this. Team. This is fun. Yeah, excellent. This is really awesome. We're very excited to have everyone on, and this is the first time we've been able to do this, and it's very exciting. Um, so, how has everyone been doing? Well, I was. I'm having this really weird moment because I'm looking in the Zoom window because we also have that up, so we can all see each other and interpret. And I'm realizing just how much Kanani and I look alike these days. And it's kind of terrifying. So it makes sense. It is weird. It is really weird. I never thought we looked alike until I'm on the Zoom call. And it's like, this is why people have thought we were related is because we look exactly alike. We have, there's, I've seen pictures through the years where I'm like, oh, there it is. But yeah, as we get to become old women, it's getting more and more. Well, this just terrifies me because it means you're going to go out and start doing horrible things and tell people that it's me. And then you're funny. And I'll end up going to jail. And then you're still thinking that's funny. And I don't think that's funny, but I can see this happening. <laughs> What's been? What has everyone been up to? How is everyone managing through the quarantine? I mean, Kanani calls me three times a day, so <laughs> so nothing different. Nothing's you call, changed. No, you call me more than you used to. You call me all the time. You used to call me when you were in Target, and now you call me when you're like, I don't know. There's there's always something. You're like, hey, I just found a fly. I don't get to go to Target anymore. I have to do something. I know she's and I, I don't know. I I just I to be completely honest, I just just let her talk while I'm working, and I don't really pay attention. And I think she knows that she's just hundred percent rambling, rambling into the void. <laughs> no, I don't know. I don't know what's. I mean, I feel like we're all kind of resigning ourselves to this new, weird, strange, surreal normal that we're living in, and just kind of getting through it day by day. Thorne, what about you? How are you managing? Well, it's a little up and down, you know, day in, day out. Some days are really good, but some days are pretty tough. 
I think that's really fair. still feel like this, this actually right now. So this is actually happening and we're in some kind of transition time. That seems really apparent. So it's not normal. It's, it's, it can't be normal, totally impossible. It's, so I go back and forth between uh, just sort of accepting it and like noticing in myself. And because I'm deaf, it has more of an impact on my life, more of an influence, influence because the isolation, you know, not being able to go out and interact with the deaf community because the deaf, the deaf community tends to want to convene and get together and see each other so we can share news. So that is a pretty dramatic influence that it's having on me. And I know many other deaf individuals out there all over the country, you know, who are keeping in touch through Skype and through text and through connection. Also the deaf blind uh, community um, needs that kind of connection to so we're having that through technology but the same kind of connection that we have in person face to face where we can really chat and feel each other's energy is not there so it's really different now so i feel like this is definitely a transition time that we're in i can imagine that must be such a big shift in community for the deaf community but especially for the deaf and blind community right yes exactly so before we jump into the episode i want to actually Introduce Thorne so we get to know you a little bit more. Thorne Davis was born and raised native to the Pacific Northwest in Portland, Oregon. Thorne's pronouns are they, them, and he, him. Their family of origin was hearing and religious, and their parents divorced when they they were young. Whole other story there. (laughs) They grew up with all the isms, homophobia, etc., among many things. Born deaf, Thorne grew up bilingual in both sign language and English. They first came out around 22 to 23 years old at the same time as they were questioning a lot related to spirituality and religion. During the beginning of the middle of their Saturn return, their innate magic woke up in some pretty major ways and there was no turning back. Thorne's first steps were tarot and then onwards to different paths, modalities, etc., there is, a consist, there is a constant journey of unfolding and discovery of self and who they are. Thorne is a Gemini sun, Leo rising, and Cancer moon creature person. Several of their identity layers are super fey, as they come, witchy, magical, queer, queer as fuck, <laughs> poly-hearted, gender fluid, trans yes. <laughs> two spirits, walk, walk between, pansexual, and so on. Thorne is a total astro nerd, among other things, too. They are active in a couple of community intersecting spaces, including the queer and deaf communities. And, and obviously, we've already introduced our interpreters, Mel and Grace. So we welcome all of you here. And it's exciting. I mean, of course, Thorne, I've met you. But it's actually really exciting to see your bio and, and learn even a little bit more about you through the bio. So thank you so much for joining us. And I also want to join and express gratitude because Thorne has been such a consistent supporter of this podcast almost from day one. And they've really helped us transition into making this podcast more accessible to people because that's really important to us. It's part of our mission. And they've been, they've just done a wonderful, wonderful promotion of us. It's like every time I get on Instagram, Thorne's like, oh my God, you should go check out this podcast. And so we're just, it's really great to be able to have you in space with us. And you've come to a lot of my events and things. And um, oh, it's just yeah. very, very supportive member of our overall local witchy community. So mm-hmm. I'm excited to have oh, you. Yeah. Me too. You're welcome. You're very welcome. I know it's hard to say exciting right now, but is there anything exciting going on? Have you done something new at home? 
I know I've done a ton of gardening. Um, I've done, you know, some tending to my altar as per our request last time. I'm yes. much better at tending to my altar, which I was terrible at at the beginning of this quarantine because I think I was just overwhelmed and like, what? One more thing to do. Um, and actually that has felt a lot better. Um, and I feel like my energy is a lot better. Is anyone else doing anything that is, you know, that they find is helpful or, mm-hmm. or that, that is new or anything exciting? I've been working on my kids' scrapbooks. Which is one of those things. And like, I can't believe I'm actually admitting this. Neither of my children have like a good, true baby book. And I used to, I was the person who judged mothers before I had children because I was a total avid scrapbooker and I scrapbooked everything. Like, how could you not have baby books and scrapbooks? Like, this is the most important thing in the world. And when you're actually taking care of these children, you have no time. So I'm actually starting to go through some of the stuff that I have and go through photos and there's just photos on multiple computers, on different laptops, on different CDs. And I'm trying to go through and my objective is at the end of all of this to actually have a scrapbook at least through um, until they hit elementary school of, of or photo album, I should say. Um, that they can have and that I can get printed into like a photo book or something like that. And so, cause that's always been a huge project. That's so overwhelming that I've never had the time to do. And so that's kind of, that's on my radar right now of this is probably the only shot I'm going to have to accomplish such a huge task. So now is when it's going to happen. I cleaned out my kitchen cabinets yesterday. Nice. Yeah. And got rid of all the things from my pre celiac life. (laughs) I don't know. The cabin fever really closed in yesterday and I've been really, I'm kind of a hermit anyway. I don't really like to go out. Um, but now that it's been so long yesterday, it really started to close in. So I went through and cleaned out my cabinets and alphabetized my spices. They're already screwed up again. Like as soon as I made dinner, I had to just rearrange the whole thing and I, I couldn't do it. Um, but I've been focusing very much on writing and and really dedicating myself to writing two hours a day. It doesn't always happen all at once, and it's not always on one thing. But I've brought out this novel that I tried a few times to make work, and and now I'm I'm finding some ways to fix it. I don't know if anything will ever happen with it, but I'm certainly enjoying that. Right? Nice. Um, Thorn, what about you? Have you done anything different, or you have any projects going on at home? So one thing I've been doing, I've been actually noticing more awareness of my screen time, how much time I'm devoting to the screen, because before it was not much of a problem, but now I'm kind of recognizing that I'm more tired. I like working with this in front of the screen for a long time. And if I reduce it, I notice that and take care of myself. I notice that my energy is, is, um, kind of comparable or like influenced by how much, so I have to be uh, mindful of that and how often I'm using it when I'm posting things. So it's fine. It's like I'm. It's allowing myself to. I'm giving myself permission to maybe not to be too critical with my relationship with the screen. Also, I've been noticing that if I start to feel overwhelmed, that sometimes I'm feeling like I need to open the window, get some fresh air. 
uh, maybe go out for a moment into the yard and have a, have a moment connecting with nature. Often during sunset is when I want, or late afternoon is my special time to go out and kind of connect and uh, through the evening and get, just give that, that time outside to myself. Uh, and it helps a lot. And I've also been journaling. That's helping me to put down my ideas and reflect on my feelings. It really depends on the day. Yeah, it varies depending on what I'm feeling. Sometimes nothing really helps. Uh, like, so I kind of go back and forth. I'm still figuring out what my daily routine looks like. I uh, started putting a puzzle together a few days ago. I haven't yet completed it. I'm still working on it. So I check it out and maybe find, uh, leave it and maybe I'll get motivation to jump into it again. So those are some of those some of my activities, I'm still really figuring out what it, what this quarantine time looks like and how best to use my time. And yeah, that's where I'm at. My husband and I have really been hitting Uno very, very hard and I keep losing and I'm not okay with this. Like it's supposed to be a game of luck, but whatever juju he has going on, like all of his witchcraft energy is going to just totally creaming my ass at Uno. (laughs) And actually like, our neighbors are getting used to us cursing each other out on the front porch because he keeps winning. And then there was one point, like we weren't actually playing. I was just making fun of him for something else. And we started, you know, bantering like that. And our neighbor calls from over the next yard. Are you guys playing Uno again? So it's sad. I'm not happy with that. Like it's really <laughs> problems around me. Uh, you know, it's funny. I think during this time, I've actually been really committed to being physically active. I think more than I have when I'm not in here. And I don't know if it's because I'm like feeling trapped. And, and I mean, obviously a lot of, I work at, uh, in a facility, I'm an office manager and a facilities manager. So my job has a lot of running around. So I'm naturally moving around for a lot of the day. And now um, I still work from home very gratefully and, uh, but it does involve me being on a screen all day <laughs> or a lot of the day and sitting, sitting still for a lot of the day. Um, so I've really focused on trying to work out one or two times, even in a day, every day to keep moving. So I don't feel stiff. I find that if I don't, that I'm like, I just feel like garbage. So, um, I love that Kanani literally got up and walked away as soon as you said, I've been exercising more. She's like, yeah, I'm done. I'm out. <laughs> what did you know? I just made myself bleed. So, no. She's showing me the bloody finger on the I know. Well, you're, you're teasing me. I'm like, it's because I'm making myself bleed, apparently. So, so something that some other people will probably feel my pain on, okay? We talk, I was, was part of the podcast when I got my nails done for the first time. And so I've loved them and I've kept them up ever since last spring. I'm obsessed with them. I love them. Okay. Anyone who's ever had fake nails knows not here. that when you do not keep up, when you can't get them refilled, they start to pull off. Ah, when they start God. to pull off, it's like nails no, driving a nail no. under your fingernail. Every time I bumped my finger, yeah that it was agonizingly painful every time I would bump Ooh. them. So I had no choice but to actually rip the fake nail off. Oh, God damn. Please. Oh, and, and so Stop this one's been off for a couple days. Oh, but, God. But the nail that's left underneath is so, like, withered and terrible that, like, I just took a little piece off because it was hurting really bad, and, and now I'm bleeding. So I'm like, okay, well, that was that was fun. 
But so that's my new, my new life is I get to wait. So only two have gotten that bad. So I have two that don't have nails on them and the rest are perfectly fine. And so I just have to bide my time and pray that I can get back into a salon before I have to rip off eight other fingernails. When the virus and the pandemic was really starting to pick up, but before we were on lockdown, I was like, you know what? I'm going to be really unhappy if I have long nails in this situation. And I went in and I got them cut down and, and, and so smart, like shaved down. And then uh, I had like shellac gel on them, uh, which I then filed off because it was like catching and pulling. And so I just like, I spent about two hours like filing everything down and, and now they're short, which is great because I've been doing so much gardening. It would be gross to get all the, so Courtney, it's time for you to talk about tarot card of the month. Yes. <laughs> okay. I love how you're like so reticent. And this was segment was your idea. And now you're like, Oh, Courtney, give us the tarot card of the month. It's because she's so bossy. Oh my God. That is like that. I don't know what kind of kettle that is, but that's like telling me, Jesus, Kanani called me bossy. Jesus. But you must uh, really be bossy. Like, wow. It's like Kim Jong-un calling somebody else a dictator. It's like, really? Exactly. Exactly. I mean, really now? I mean, if you want, I can mute you and move on to the next segment. <laughs> that's fine. I'm just going to sit here and I'm going to read tarot and I'll just, I'll read it for Thor and I'm going to chat it to them in the window. So there we go. Anyway. But I think our listeners would like to have their tarot card for the month. <laughs> I'm still using the Rider Waite Smith because all my other decks are still locked away in their tarot prison. Um, so, what is our card for the month? Da, 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 da. Oh, I like this one. This is the Nine of Pentacles. So, this card talks a lot about. Um, restoration and it talks about peace. And to me, this really feels like the card that represents zoom calls because it's someone standing in their garden with a bird on their hand. So it's like distant communication, communication that flies somewhere. So, um, I take this as a sign. The month of May is one going to be about getting outdoors, but also starting to reconnect, um, as more places, at least in the United States are starting to open. People may find greater connection with others. But even if you're not in a place that is reconnecting uh, right away, I would say this is an opportunity to reconnect with people whom you have not heard from in a while. Um, and so that's, there's a lot of positive energy for rebuilding those kind of relationships. And, um, and I, I know that's an energy that I've been taking in. Like I've reached out to a number of, of, um, friends from the past. Um, should I go ahead and talk about the magic of the month? Yeah. All right. So um, this episode is being released on May 4th. And um, that's so we're right in the tides of what Americans call Beltane. Um, the correct pronunciation is Bialtana. I'm going to try to, well, close to as correct as possible. I'm sure there are people out there covering their ears. But um, it's often thought to be May 1st. But the astrological date of Bialtana this year is on May 5th. And I would say you could even stretch this as far as the full moon on May 7th. So this is typically a holiday associated yeah. with fertility. So in times long ago, um, in many parts of Europe and probably other parts of the world as well, this was a good time to get pregnant if you were going to, because people who conceived at Bieltana 
were still able to work the fields, planting crops, and they could help gather the harvest well into the fall because pregnancy wasn't so far advanced that they were um, encumbered by it. And so when food was at its most scarce in the winter months, everybody was basically hanging out by the fire anyway. So to, you would be really, really pregnant at that time and pretty much just sitting around and there's not a whole lot of work to do. And even more importantly, babies conceived at Bialtina would be born in early February, um, which was a perfect time for fresh food supplies to be coming in through the milk and cheese that was provided by the cows and the ewes who would begin lactating around that time. So birthing mothers having better nutrition were better able to provide milk themselves, which led to a decrease in infant mortality. So if you wanted a baby, Bialtina was the time to make it happen. So Irish writer Shane Broderick has written an article about this, which we will link on our website. And Shane says, the 1st of May brings to us the start of summer and one of the most important cross-quarter days in between the solstices and the equinox in the Irish calendar. May Day, like many festivals of its kind, has no shortage of traditions attached to it. Also, similar to Samhain, which is celebrated at the end of October, as many others people call Halloween, it is considered to be an extremely liminal time where influences from the other world can be a genuine threat. The May Festival, or Bialtana, is also a time when the fairies, or the she, are thought to be especially active. It's traditionally considered a fire festival, so bonfires are a very important part to it. The name Bialtima is believed to mean uh, bright fire, and like many other festivals, it has its origins in pagan times. Many of the traditions associated with the festival are concerned with protection against these otherworldly forces. As this was a time when cattle would be put out to pasture, many of the superstitions, for lack of a better word, of May Day are related to butter production and protection of the animals. So again, a link to more information about the European origins and, and practices will be on our website. Um, today, modern American witches often celebrate Bialtina as a fertility holiday, adopting many of their practices from, their Euro from um, the Europeans, which include making total asses of themselves while dancing around the Maypole, drinking too much mead, and dressing in corsets because in many places it's the first time that it's warm enough to walk around without a coat on. In some cases, people will jump over bonfires. Now, if you're doing that, you need to leave your Renfair gowns at home because that stuff is flammable. This is also typically the start of festival season, but given that we're in quarantine, most Bielton festivals have been canceled, or if they haven't, they should be, because we all still need to keep it at home a little bit longer. So some suggestions for how you can uh, make magic during this time is um, I wrote a, a piece called um, a solo Bialtina at home. And I recommend taking two candles. If you have red, white, gold, or light green, that's great. But again, we're always just going to use what we have. Um, if you can avoid darker colors, that's better because what we're trying to do is um, invoke the season of a lightning world. But just as our friend Carla said a few episodes again, just tell the candle what color it needs to be. If your color is black and you need it to be gold, you're just going to say, hey, black candle, now you're gold. Just, just be that gold candle, okay? Thanks so much. So you want to try to get a few fresh flowers. Um, now is a really good time to catch some. The dandelions are coming out. So those are great as well. Um, but really anything that you can find beautiful and including a bowl of water with a pinch of salt mixed to it, so take the salt water and sprinkle it around in a circle, which will mark your space as sacred. If you light both these candles and you can sit in between them, that can be your sacred bonfire. 
So while you, while you sit or stand in this place, offer thanks for every blessing in your life, focusing especially on the blessings you wish to multiply. This year, good work, spell work especially is for money or business spells, also increasing intuition or friendship spells or romance spells. But be very specific if you're doing a romance spell this time of year because the energies coming up really urge being selective with regards to romance because you could, without doing that, you could bring somebody into your life, but that person may not be the partner that you want. So you could end up in a romantic situation and it's just not working and those can be difficult to exit. So now when you're full of blessings and thanks, you want to break the petals off the flowers. These can be spread in a garden or used in a bath. Um, Again, check the flowers you bring in. Make sure that you don't have any allergies to them, or you can keep them in a sachet. No matter what, you are encouraging your blessings to multiply through the fertile energies of Bealtaine. Um, Make sure to make an offering to your spirits or deities. If you cannot leave um, cakes or ale or food or um, tea or coffee on an altar for them, Offering song is great, making art. Um, and remember, Bealtaine is a fertility holiday, so, you know, have some sex. So if you can, have, create some extra time with, um, with, with intimate partners. Even if they're not pagan, offering that intimacy will create deeper connection with, the, with, with all of you throughout the tides of the season. Um, if you don't have a partner or if your partner is unavailable, pleasuring yourself is absolutely, is absolutely accessible. Ex- is absolutely acceptable. Yes, it's definitely accessible this time right now. Um, but if sex is not your thing at any method, or if your body is just not responding to it at a moment in the moment, finding another method of physical pleasure, such as receiving touch from someone you're quarantined with, um, a yoga video on YouTube is absolutely acceptable. Whatever it is, just do something to make your body feel really good and will leave you with some sort of release. So those are my plans for Bielsen. I don't know what you guys have going on, but that's what I'm going to be doing. I was going to give some offers of some fun things maybe to do with kids at this time that um, maybe because we're all kind of stuck indoors or certain. It's a very, because it's spring and everything's new and everything's beautiful and usually the weather's great. A lot of stuff is very outdoor centered, um, but there's certain things that we, that, that can still be done that are kind of fun if. Maybe you can't, you know, have a maypole and ribbons and things like that. Um, one of the activities that I'd seen that I thought was really fun that was doing with going to do with the kids is take, you can take sticks. If you can find them in your yard or, or something that you can maybe use in the home that you could tie ribbons to and they can dance with the, the sticks and the ribbons. Um, you can also make like flower crowns, things like that. I also saw a cute suggestion of since, uh, you know, some people can have fires in their backyard and things like that, which could be really fun. And you could you mm-hmm. know, dance around, dance around like a fire pit or something like that. But, you know, if you don't, you don't have a backyard. We don't have a backyard. Um, you can have like a little candle or something and everybody dances and sings around the candle. And, and just, so there's still some things you can do, even though, you, you know, there's still lots of things we can do, even though we're all kind of stuck in our homes. Courtney, I have a question for you. So in the the solo ritual that you detailed out, if someone is in quarantine with another person, is that something they can do together? Oh, absolutely. Right. I mean, even Kanani pointed out there's there's always room to bring more people into um, your Beltane celebrations. I also, one thing I forgot to mention is dance is a really, really wonderful way to celebrate Beltane because it's, it is, it's moving your body. It's, it's celebrating the spirit it's important to remember what 
um, people in days of old that lived in colder climates, how they experienced this time of year, because we all get spring fever. We get really, we get really ready to go outside. And right now we're all feeling it, especially because we're cooped up. But imagine when winter was really synonymous with death. And so not only did you survive the winter, now you can get outside and celebrate. So the jubilation in there is really, is, is really old in a lot of, of cultures around the world. And so I think that it's, um, it's harnessing that, that celebration is a way to do it. And good. And just like Kanani said, doing things that are beautiful and fun and crafty, um, good food, but also I really recommend dance is, is a great way to, um, to do a belt um, belt and a ritual. Um, if you don't have or feel obliged to do the candles and that kind of work, I know my, my magic has been super simple lately. Like we had a really nice full moon about a week and a half ago. And I just looked at it and said, I'm not doing anything tonight. I'm just not. And so if you're feeling that way about Bialtana too, so put on your favorite music and just feel that. And that's a great Bialtana ritual too. I think that's a really good point because I think right now people are feeling very overwhelmed in general. So I've also like, I feel like when I would normally do more complex magic or I would do more complex ritual, I just don't have the, en- you know, it's like the energy isn't there. Or sometimes I'm just like, Oh God, I don't have an Emmy or I don't, you know, have the things that I want or, or whatever it is. I think that being adaptable and we've talked about this a lot before, but you know, being able to adapt with what you have and that includes what energy you have. It's not just what items you have. If you're just like, no, I mean the, the last full moon, I was totally taxed. I'd had like a really emotional day and I just sat there. I just sat in the moonlight. I was like, I don't, I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to sit here and honor the moon. And I, and, and that's it. You know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna plan a thing. I'm not going to put all my crystals out. I'm not going to do anything major. And I think giving ourselves permission to scale things down. And, and, and of course, if you have the energy and the desire to do a whole bunch, then absolutely by all means do it. But I think giving ourselves the permission to not feel pressured to make it the best ever, the most beautiful ever, the most perfect ever. I think we need to give ourselves that, um, that leniency right now, because I think not just in magic, but in everything, um, you know, I think that we're all operating, you know, in a very, alternate reality right now and it's emotionally and physically draining and so um so i think that i always i think it's great to remind ourselves that you know if you just want to put on some music and dance around your house or just put on music and listen to it and have joy that way however it is that it helps you i think that's really important important reminder for people and one more note about that i find that my psychic intuition gets really powerful doing exactly what you talked about. Just sitting in the damn moonlight and soaking it up is a really great way to recharge your witchcraft batteries there. That's all I'm going to say about that. (laughs) Thorne, do you have anything planned for Beltane? Well, long ago and back in my thirties, I would go to a gathering, a Beltane gathering typically for the community. It's in Southern Oregon it's on private land, and that's where we convene and come together and have ritual for Beltane. But for a while now, I stopped actually attending for, for some years recently. I've been keeping it pretty simple for myself, uh, especially just during that time of year. I really try to do small things, like either making a cake or making bread, something that I really enjoy eating, food that I enjoy sharing with friends, 
But now with this kind of quarantine happening and I'm a little stuck inside, now I'm kind of reframing my idea about how to, uh, how to approach this, how to work with the circumstances. I'm trying to get a vision. What I'm feeling is I want to meet, I want to refresh my altar. I actually did that. And I'm feeling that I'm going to actually move things around a little on my altar. I'll gather flowers from my backyard, perhaps. Maybe I'll have a small fire in the yard. I'm going to feel the pulse of the energy and see what kind of I want to, what whim I want to follow. But I don't have anything specific planned. These are some possibilities of what I might do. But we'll see what happens. Uh, but I think having that com- um, connection and the recognition of this time of year feels like that is deep inside me. And it has been since I was a child, recognizing this important side and time of the year is just deep in me and noticing that the um, energy is a little bit different, but I have that intuition, that connection, that recognition of um, the list of things and, that are uh, happening this time to, of year and being able to share that with other people. And it's a transition process to figure out uh, how all this is applying to me right now and how to share with others. So I'm keeping my finger on the pulse of that to see what it will lead to. I'll probably offer something to the fairies, of course. I have to do that every year. Yeah, that's, so that's the general scope of, of what, how I'll be approaching Beltane this year. That's amazing. It's awesome that you've had that connection or that you felt that connection from so young. And that it's kind of remained a similar connection for you uh, and grown as you've grown. Well, I was born in the summertime. So, uh, so since I was born into that, it's become just internalized completely for me. Amazing. Kanani. <laughs> oh, God. You guys, I'm in so much trouble with Kanani today. I'm surprised she even got on the show. She's shaking her head. Oh, yeah. So... Courtney decides that she's going to call me to tell me that I need to watch The Wicker Man. <laughs> and so I then tell my husband, hey, tonight we have to watch a movie. Because I'm trying to sort of expose him to some of the things we do on the podcast because he doesn't listen to the podcast because this, this isn't his jam. And so I'm trying to get him to watch these movies with me. So... He liked, I just call it the coconut movie because I keep forgetting the name. Oh, oh Monty Python, a search for the Holy Grail. That's you call it the coconut movie the now? Coconut movie because they make oh, the horse hooves sounds with the coconuts. Yes. No, so we get it. We get it. Movie. You're, you're, you're horrifying. Yeah. So he liked the coconut movie. I'm sorry. You have to leave the podcast. So <laughs> then I tell him we have to watch this. So he's like, oh, what is this? So we're watching it, and of course, he, he gets sort of into it because there's lots of boobies, so that's not so bad. <laughs> yeah, he's like, what is she having you watch? What is going on here? I'm like, I, I don't know. I don't know these things. I just, I just sit and watch these movies. So we're watching the movie, and it's fine, and I, I grasped. I had, it was funny. There were times where they were talking about rituals and rites and different things, which was actually kind of fun for me, where he's like, why are they doing that? And he would, he would pick up on certain things and like, what is the symbolism of that? So he would, he would understand, cause he has none of the background knowledge of any of these rites or rituals. Right. So that, he just shows up when you tell him to, and he just stands in the back holding your jacket while you dance around a bonfire. Exactly. So I, we would pause it and I would explain certain things to him about, about the rites and rituals and what they would do and why. 
And so that was kind of fun. And then in the end, and my husband's looking at me and I'm like, but we don't do that. Like, you know, he's just looking at me like, this, you know, cause I'm explaining, oh, this is this, this is why we celebrate this. And oh, this is the maple and oh, this, oh yeah. And you've been to, we do this and you know, they do this at a and, and then all of a sudden at the end, they burn a man alive and he's just looking at me and I'm just like, son of a bitch, Courtney, God. <laughs> oh God. Like, you know what it took me to get him to come to these things? And now it's like, oh look, there's a movie about our religion of fucking hell. <laughs> God damn it. He's never going to attend anything ever no, again. He's never going to come again. I'm sure now he knows that you know, we've just been loving him. A little bit of backstory here. So the, for those who are not familiar, there is a legend that um, the uh, the Celtic Druids in um, Western Europe and what is now Great Britain used to create a giant structure of a man made of wood that they would stuff with animals and usually men, men that they would then burn. But there's no evidence as to how that was possible, like how this was constructed, how it stood up, how something that big could stay alight at a time when wood was very wet. You know, this is a damp time of year. And so there's a lot of pieces that are not really part of the story. And there's also a lot of reasons to believe that the Romans who wrote about this were trying to solicit more tax money from their citizens in order to conduct these raids and colonize Western Europe and, and what is now the British Isles. And so it's likely that this was a highly exaggerated propaganda piece. Um, I mean, there probably was animal sacrifice that was going on, but that was true with religions all across the world in this period of human history. We're talking 2000 years ago. So yeah. And um, it's kind of the idea of a wicker man is kind of a joke now in a lot of witchcraft communities. A couple of years ago, I attended a Bielsena ritual in Cornwall, New York, where they made a little tiny wicker man. And the the idea was that it was going to purge the community of all of its ales. And so people were encouraged to go scream their frustrations on this wicker man, which was then burned. So no animals or people, of course, were harmed in this, but people could really lay all their frustrations on this little guy. And then when he burned, he took all that stuff with him. So that's what that is. But I did forget to tell Kanani that it was a horror movie. And I told her, oh, it, it includes all these folk practices, which is true. Um, but then also there's this one that has probably never been true that they stuck in at the very end. end where they burn a man alive, you know, just little details, <laughs> tiny smidgen details. She's texting me, I'm traumatized by this movie. I'm like, I forgot. She's, she's super hard on the outside, super soft on the inside and movies tend to go I've right told to you. This is, we've, and it's funny because any of our listeners that have watched this movie are going to give you the same shit they gave you the last time and be like, why did you tell her to watch that movie? You knew she wouldn't like that movie. I know when you say these things, like, why would Courtney recommend? Of course, Kanani's not going to like that movie. That was a terrible suggestion. So I don't give them to you for you to like them. I give them to you because as a witch, you should have seen them already. That's what this whole thing is about, is that you need to get caught up. I had, I had, I'm going to have to watch Sleepless in Seattle now to just flush it out, to get the, get the ooky out. I'm going to have to watch some sort of, or maybe I'll watch. I po- we posted a meme the other day of Practical Magic. I love that movie. I'm obsessed with that movie. I'll just watch that like six times to just get it out of my system. You know, the thing is, is if you would have watched these and you wouldn't have been lame and not watched any movie that we've all seen, then we wouldn't it's be terrible. here in this situation. It's terrible. 
Thorin, we need more movie suggestions. What should Kanani see next? Because I don't want to take the blame anymore. So I'm going to, yeah, what she movie should she suggestions. watch? Magic movies or magic movies in specific? Magic movies. What movies should a witch have seen at this point in her life? Like this one. If we want more of a sort of kids magic movie, I'm a total nerd for those kinds of movies, by the way. One of my top favorites kids' magical movies would be, uh, it's called The Secret Moon Acre. Uh, so just a brief synopsis. There's a little girl who has a father who dies, and the uncle sends her to stay, or she's sent to stay with the uncle. But the, ma- the, the little girl is magic, and the land is magical, and the house is magical. So it's a family story, a generational story between two families, actually. Who, inter, who intersect throughout time. So it's really a cool little tale, and it's a fun movie to watch. And there's nothing really seriously awful, so it's good for young people. Maybe, I'd say between the ages around 10 to 11 and up. So it's a good one to watch for that age. Even eight, maybe, eight and up, could be a possibility that they could handle that kind of a film. I just looked that up online. Mm-hmm. I have never heard of this movie, and it looks spectacular. Yeah, I, me either. I've never heard of it. Either. I will absolutely yeah, watch really it. Amazing. It's a really amazing film. And there's a TV show you can watch uh, for kids called The Secret of Magic. Yeah, Amazon Prime, Secret of Magic. That's uh, It's in the first season right now. Oh, actually, sorry, the first series. And they, in the second one, they add some magic. So there are three kids, some background they find a rare magic cookbook. All right. So there's a protector, a protector group that is actually protecting the cookbook. So actually when these three work with the cookbook, then it'll move on. The cookbook itself will move on to another group of people and that will will be protecting them. So it's this series that maps and finds its way through a, a bunch of different people. It's about how to use food for magic. So it's really cool and fun and interesting approach to, uh, yeah, working with this cookbook as a form of magic. Yeah, I'll look it up and send the links yes, to you all. Thank so you. you take a look at those. See, Thorn gives me good movie suggestions. Well, Thorn's a nicer person than I am. So there you go. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I'm not the friend you want. I'm, I'm a focus movie nerd. So I am a history nerd, a movie nerd. I know a lot of these, a lot of these areas. I love to watch a lot of uh, history related things uh, related to magic and history and other folk related tales. So my major was history in college. So I grew up always just fascinated by stories, tales, tradition, folklore, mythology, and so I've always had a connection with, um, and also the outdoors. So everything just has been part of my life for a long time. Clearly, we have not watched many then. <laughs> we all think we've watched all these awesome witch movies and, and shows. Clearly, we're way behind. Thank you for those suggestions. You're very welcome. So uh, we wanted to jump into asking you some questions about you as a witch and also about uh, about pendulum work something that I'm totally clueless about, so I'm very excited about this. I wanted to chat, and I know that you wanted to share a little bit about, before we dive into witchcraft-specific questions, you wanted to share a little bit about uh, the difference between sign language when you were growing up versus what it is like now. 
Can you talk to us about that a little bit? Sure. Mm-hmm. I just want to have a little clarification here. I was born deaf to a hearing family. So just a quick synopsis here and share how sign language showed up in my life at that time. When I was born, uh, I was around six to nine months years old. My mom was just checking me out. wasn't sure what was wrong with me, so to speak, you know, and just observing my actions. I didn't play really with my brother and sister I wasn't, uh, I had different sorts of activities and I was more actually just, uh, you know, removed. And she was concerned that there was something wrong with my body. And she said something to my dad. She's like, I think something's off a little bit. What's up? And dad just kept ignoring saying, Oh, she'll grow, or they'll grow out of it. it it's, everything's fine. No worries. But my mom was really concerned and thought mm, her intuition was saying something's up here. So anyway, they brought me to the doctor and there were tests and every test they could do, did every test they could possibly think of. And they said, okay, not that, not that, not that, not that. And finally they tried an audio test. Yep. It was confirmed that I had hearing loss, dramatic hearing loss. So I was deaf. So my mom thought, what am I going to do? And the doctor suggested to go to uh, the audiologist um, to go to a specialist to get a second perspective, second opinion. And so they took me to an audiologist, had some more tests to get that second opinion. And it was confirmed. Yep. Indeed. Thorne is deaf. So my, our official so-called diagnosis, uh, is profoundly deaf. So that means if I have uh, the hearing test, hearing aids on, uh, or hearing aids. I could hear sounds maybe, but it doesn't really help me to actually hear well, you know? So, you know, I maybe used those for a little while, but they just didn't help altogether. So signing because of that finding at six to nine months and that observation of what was actually happening, my mom checked with the audiologist and said, what should I do in this situation? How do we, how do we, move forward. And that time it was like 1978 is when I was born and it was here in Portland. So there's an organization for hearing parents with deaf babies. So the audiologist recommended that we touch base and learn some sign language from this organization. So at that time, the model of signing was called it was called SIMCOM, simultaneous communication. So what that means is that, well, let's see. So we learn how to, they learn how to lip read and sign at the same time. So when you start with speech, learning speech kind of therapy and learning sign at the same time or speaking and signing at the same time is basically what that means. And it tends to learn, have a more English structure within the language. So with that organization, that hearing parents of deaf babies, that's where I met all my deaf friends growing up and we grew up together as a group and uh, we were in kindergarten together, first grade, first through fifth grade. We kind of transitioned um, through school time, through our education together. The program, for the, uh, which is part of the deaf public school, all the teachers in the deaf and hard of hearing program, they all knew sign language. Uh, all the staff knew sign language and ASL at that time for me growing up and watching that and being able to 
you know, inner interact with that language. When I looked at it as a child, I didn't really know what that language was. Yeah. So that language actually became part of me because I grew up with that language. ASL was just deeply in my body, but I didn't know exactly what it was called. What is that? It's just, it's just part of who I am. Later, as I got older, I transitioned to a, I transferred to a private school. At that time, it was a private school and everyone was hearing except for me. There's one deaf student within a mainstream classroom and I had an interpreter throughout that time. That means my I, my deaf identity faltered. I, I was disconnected from my deaf identity at that point. So after that, I transferred to college. And at that point, my deaf identity was revitalized. And I was really starting to figure out who I was. And then from then on out, I was just completely immersed in American Sign Language and used it. So PSE, which is like Pigeon Sign Language... It's, it doesn't really quite connect. I don't quite connect with it compared to ASL. So I have to kind of, depending on who I'm talking to, I have to match um, and use PSE or ASL, these different sort of levels of sign language, depending on who I'm uh, communicating with. There's my mom. I'm really grateful to my mom for supporting and advocating for me to have sign language. And she convinced and told my brother and my sister that they needed to go learn too. So I really applaud my mom for, for rallying for that, for supporting me in my language and uh, my accessibility to the family. There are positives and negatives with transitioning back and forth, kind of living in two worlds. Like I live, I have two different lives, really, the hearing world and the deaf world and different languages. But I just wanted to clarify what my, um, what my life is like with this, with this language and with my identity. Thank you so much for that. I think that... Um probably most people don't realize, you know, that that is a journey of someone who's born deaf. Um, and so I think it's amazing for all of us to hear that and for our listeners to know that that's your experience um, and how and how you developed your language um, in ASL um, and the journey that that took. So thank you so much for sharing that with us. Yeah, you're very welcome. I'm happy to. The next Do you have any questions? More? More questions? I'm an open book. I would love to share as much as we you have like. Lots more questions. Don't you worry. <laughs> um, <laughs> Excellent. So uh, I would love to know, we ask everyone this on the podcast, but we would love to know, when did you first realize that you were a wit or a magical person? I would say it wasn't completely obvious. There wasn't one reason that just suddenly hit me one day. Let's see. I think it really started right in the middle of my Saturn return, somewhere in that cusp. I met a magical woman at that time, and I was just fully immersed in the magical witchy world. Uh, just an amazing person. Before that, before I met her, I had some tough life situations happen to me back to back, really challenging life experience. And this person supported me during that time. So that's where I first learned how to just kind of get through things. And then I started learning from her what ritual looks like, what, what magic looks like, and to connect with all these aspects. And I just started to learn. It was like really hands-on learning with her. And, th- and this person, she signed as well at that time. So my foundation started right there. It started opened up for me. Before that, I did some reading various topics, but that deep connection, 
that full immersion, yeah, I, I really found that at, at, uh, later during my Saturn returns. At the same time, I had a friend who uh, had a tarot deck. It was their deck. And they gifted it to me. They said to me, hey, I've got this feeling, this strong intuition that it's important for me to give this tarot deck to you. This deck actually wants to come to you. And at the time, I didn't understand. Like, what does that mean? What am I supposed to do with this? But I accepted. And my, my mind was open. I said, sure. So that deck was called the Goddess Knowledge Deck. There was no guidebook with it. It was just the deck by itself, single cards. That's it. But I went and I just dove in and learned so much. Plus my inner nerd, my history nerd, my cultural nerd, the, the mythology um, nerd within me already had an immediate connection and fascination with this. And there was no going back at that point. I just was going to dive onto this path and journey forward with all this new information. Honestly, growing up, I've always had a connection with magic. So at that specific time, it really started to unfurl. I think I've had many past lives where I've done the same kind of magic work. So that has definitely influenced my, this lifetime for sure. Thank you. The next question I have really is, you know, during this time, I think we're all coping in different ways. And I'm curious to hear how your magical practice has helped you through this current crisis. Mm, yeah. I've started meditating more every morning or perhaps in the afternoon, maybe when I first wake up or later, but later in the day, meditating, checking in my, with my body and my chakras, where my energy's at, just scanning, feeling the pulse of where I'm at. That's, I like to actually start my day with that especially. And then at night before I go to bed, I try to do the same thing. And it's maybe not every day, but most days I try and do that depending. So I'm trying to keep a little bit Oh, I've been smudging my room too. I've been making sure I use some sage or something. So if I feel like, oh, the energy needs to move, I will go ahead and smudge the room, open the window, cleanse the, the energy in my space. And I find that some of those simple magical rituals right now, that's where it's at for me at this point. If I have the energy for so-called high magic, then maybe I'll do that as well. But some of those simple practices have been really benefiting me during this time. I agree. I think that um, I've actually been using a lot of smoke cleansing as well with sage. I've done it with, uh, with rosemary um, and I have some sweet grass also at home. And it's been, uh, it's been really nice to kind of, I think the energy around us is really heavy right now. So I think that that, that lifting and kind of clearing of that stagnant energy has been really nice. Cedar is really a nice oh. way um, to go as well. I love cedar. I attended an online ritual this week in which we burned mm. bay leaves and then put them in water and then cleansed ourselves with that. And I thought that was lovely. And you can get those at the grocery store. Yeah, that's a great idea. Oh, very cool. I like that idea. Yeah, I really like bay leaves um, in general. I love the scent, but I also really like them as a, as a cleansing herb. So the next question I had is, very cool. When when did you first start working with pendulums and how did that happen? Ah, so that's very interesting. It wasn't until around, I would say, maybe late 20s or early 30s, somewhere in that window, that a person that I knew at that time, we disconnected for a while and come back together. Anyway, 
uh, they gave me some advice and say, why not give a try with the pendulum? I feel that you would probably have a connection with that mode of magic. And I thought, hmm, well, now I had a book. They gave me a book. So I went ahead and thanked them for this book and started to peruse it. And the idea of it felt pretty comfortable to me because I'm also familiar with dousing, which is another tradition. So there's some, it's a little uh, comparable, you know, there's some similarities and differences, but dousing is strongly connected to the land, to water. Yeah. It's a strong uh, way that people have approached it for many years, working with land and water and quite a tradition in that sense. So as I was looking at the pendulum, I thought maybe this is kind of a different approach. So it felt actually comfortable to me, but I hadn't really tried it yet. So somewhere in my mid-30s, no, early 30s, I think, uh, that's when I got my first pendulum. It was an amethyst pendulum. And it was beautiful. Yeah, actually beautiful, old. And I had a great connection with it right away. And I didn't use it for a while. When it would kind of nudge me, I would pick it up and decide to maybe work with it. It's interesting because with a pendulum, most people have this vision of like, oh, it's yes or no questions that it's answering, but that's not how it works for me. I have a different relationship to it. It's more about energy, an energetic connection. And it's also sometimes I use it for finding something that's lost or for spirits or connecting with a question that someone might have. Also, it's connected. I can connect it with energy work. I can help balance and support someone's chakras or clear their chakras. Other times I might use it with a physical space, with a building or a house or whatever. If I need to, if the energy feels kind of stuck and like it needs to move, I might use a pendulum in that case. So there are a few different ways that I can uh, move the energy through with a pendulum, but most of the time I use it. Most of the time I tend to use use it with my hands for, for energy work on people. But it's the pendulum is a good tool and it will um, let me know actually when it needs it. A few years ago, I got another pendulum, a Jasper. It was, yeah, blue Jasper. Yeah, it was a really beautiful one. Yeah, oh, it was actually red Jasper. Red Jasper. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really nice. I liked the feel of it. it. Had a different kind of energy compared to the amethyst one. So, mm-hmm. so I use it when it beckons me to use it, which is not all the time. But when it does, I really pay attention and and uh, pick it up. Are there any tips and tricks that you have for people that are wanting to start with pendulum use? Is it is there something that you think is um, good for them to know uh, when they kind of first start on that journey? Yeah, that's a very good question. I would just encourage people, same as any other kind of energy work, magic work with runes or crystals, or if it's still new to you, I would encourage that to really feel the energy out, to touch, to feel the tactile, to, to get a sense of it. You could even sleep with it for a while. Just kind of notice and feel out the energy and what it wants to tell you, how it wants to guide you, and what you could, what you want to accept from it. How how this 
little pendulum being wants to work with you. Maybe it will have loud sounds or quiet sounds. Maybe it has a certain voice. And it's going to vary depending on the person. Just feel it out first. I think that's really important and basic. And, and you'll get a very clear read on whether you actually want to use it or not. If it's warm, that often could mean that's the right one for you. That's the right connection. If it feels rather cool or cold, um, it's not obviously warm or vibrating, then maybe that, that's maybe not the best one for you or it's not the right time for you to use it. Maybe later it'll be more appropriate for you to use. These are ways that you can kind of um, feel, feel into your relationship with that particular pendulum or stone. Another tip I have, before you actually use the tool, make sure you cleanse it and clear the energy. Make sure that the yeah, it's connected appropriately to your energy. Uh, things can stick to it and you don't want that. So be sure to clear the pendulum or clear the stone. So if someone is using a pendulum, because you mentioned that they're good for answering questions, my curiosity is how it answers the question. I've seen like little mats before where it hovers over yes or no. Do you use one of those or do you follow a pattern where it swings one way, gives you a, a yes or no? It's interesting because I don't really use one of those boards. I don't, I haven't used one of those. I could try in theory naturally, but, but it hasn't felt right to, uh, to connect with it in that way for me. And I've learned, you know, watching the movement of the pendulum that it will spin or it will go in a straight direction. I know that that's one way to show an affirmation of some kind of, of something. Or it could be a warning in some way. You know, there are different ways that it can work. Different kinds of movement that can um, share, that can offer a response. It's really important. Don't allow your hands to hold it, and, and don't actually don't move your hands when you're holding it. To be really steady with your hands. Make sure that your hands are calm and soft. And that the pendulum is actually moving on its own and moving itself. So that's a big one right there to just kind of keep, keep the hand still because you don't want to maybe accept something um, that might be off. Like maybe you really want something to happen that that's going to actually influence how the pendulum moves. That makes sense. Are there any types of pendulums that you prefer over others? I've seen them in metal. I've seen them in wood. I've seen them in stone. Do you have a preference? Uh, It's hard to say what my preference might be. There's so many different kinds of properties that each pendulum could have, their own expression and their own medicine that they can offer. I have two, the amethyst and the jasper. Those are the ones I work with. And I've seen wood ones, so I'm curious about them. Maybe I'll try. I haven't yet had the time to really find a match for me. I do have a metal one. I actually have a third metal. But it's still new to me. I haven't yet used it. So I'm just letting it sleep and rest until I feel it wake up and tap me on the shoulder and say, hey, use me. So I'm waiting for that moment. That's awesome. I think that I definitely get that uh, feeling with crystals. I do a lot of work with crystals and I'll, and it's like, sometimes there'll be a crystal sitting somewhere in my house or on my altar or whatever that will just be like, um, 
excuse me, hello. <laughs> it's my turn now. And I'm like, oh, okay, right. And it always it's the same if I'm in a magical shop. Um, same scenario. I'll be walking through and it's like a crystal's like, hello. <laughs> Come over here. Yeah. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> I feel that too. I agree. I always have to really listen and say, what is happening here? Yeah, I can feel into it. I can listen and, and pay attention to those prompts. Fantastic. This is such good advice for everyone. For me, you know, I, I, I mean, I knew what a pendulum was and kind of the basics around how it worked, but I really didn't know much. So it's been really great to get to hear this from you and, and to be able to hear how you utilize it. And also that I didn't realize that it could be utilized in so many ways. I didn't realize that it could be used in healing um, or in energy work. I didn't realize that it, it I mean, I, I have done dowsing before, and I, but I didn't realize that it could be used in a similar way to lead you to something. Um, I have only seen it in a yes and no pattern. So it, it's really cool to hear that. And, uh, and thank you for sharing that with us. Yeah. Oh, definitely. So mm-hmm. happy to share. So something that we do, uh, we, we actually have this little ritual that we do at the end of many of our episodes, uh, and it's we call it As Below, So Above, so the opposite of what we normally hear. And, uh-huh. and what it is is we, we say something that we want to release or let go of first, and then we say something that we want to bring in or call in. Uh, would you like to participate with us? Sure. Great. Yeah, definitely. Courtney, do you want to start? I'm calling you out. Yeah, and I'm going to break the rules a little bit this time. What? And I am. I'm going to be a rebel. I had a reading done last week, and they said for me to focus solely on joy and avoid arguments, which means I'm not going to be answering any of Kanani's calls for the next two weeks because we usually just fight about things. But I, I am going to make the conscious effort to continue to put myself in places that make me laugh that make me happy and avoid argument. This doesn't mean that I'm avoiding conflict forever or that conflict is bad, but it just means for this period of time, that's what I've got to do. So however that translates to as below, so above, that's where I'm at. So moat that shit. So moat that shit. You can't avoid me forever. That's just, it's not going to, it's not going to happen. I'm going to try though. I mean, you know, we're all trying new things during this quarantine. That's what I'm going to try. It hasn't worked for 30 years. I think, I think you're, you're out of luck in that scenario. Children don't make me turn this man around. <laughs> so for me, I think that, uh, while I think I've done actually quite well at balancing some things during quarantine, I also have found that I'm not very good at being still. <laughs> so I'm like really poor at. Shocking. Um, really? What? You? <laughs> shocking. I know. Shocking. I, everybody is shocked. I um, need smelling salts. <laughs> so I, I actually, uh, I'm trying to let go of that need to be moving around all the time and, and, the, and the need to like keep it together all the time. I'm a very like together uh, calculated with like many contingency plans person. Um, and so I'm trying to let go of the need to plan something that obviously I, none of us can plan for. Um, and what I'm trying to hoping to bring in is really, uh, a greater sense of stillness and also just the ability to, 
to really enjoy and really um, be grateful for like the calm, the still, and the centering. And I think I've done a good job at, at having those moments. But then it's like, I'm done. it's like, okay, I meditated and then it's done. And I'm like, all right, okay, I need to think about what I need to do here. And I need to put this together here. And what about this thing over there? And so really to not just snap out of those moments of grounding and centering, but like let myself live in those for a little bit. I think mine is very similar to, to Hillary's in that while I, I'm going stir crazy just like everybody else and, and, you know, not just super enjoying every moment of this, there are moments that I do enjoy. What I want to let go of is what was and, the, and how our lives operated before this happened. And I'm trying to figure out a way to go back into our, our world once everything kind of opens back up, but maybe in a way that's not quite so chaotic, that might be a little bit calmer so that we can bring we can continue with some of this peaceful time that we never had before, you know, a more positive new normal. So Pluto, little Pluto just transited. Actually, it just went retrograde yesterday. So a lot of that is um, in the underbelly. A, a lot of the underbelly is rising up. So it makes sense to, to focus on letting go right now. And four more retro, uh, planets will be going retrograde this summer. Venus, Jupiter, Saturn, and Mercury. All of those are going to be going retrograde. So this summer is going to be very, very interesting time. It's going to be an interesting time for us with all of that. But my point is uh, Pluto about um, and what I want to release. Let me think. I would like to little common stories that the, the common story we tell ourselves is that we should be productive. We always should be doing something and it's related to our self-worth, but right now there's no work. Like, so I'm grateful for that. I do have one client that I've been seeing who's hanging in there with me. I've been giving them readings and, but at the same time that my, the level of work that I've been doing has decreased. So that's like, um, that kind of story, that context that my self-worth is based on the services that I offer the world, the productivity that I have to be doing. So I have to let go of that um, at a deeper level because it's not really indicative of who I actually am. And I've been struggling with that story. So now I'm really kind of working with it and I'm, I'm done. I'm kind of putting that story away and moving on to the next thing. Yeah, that's specifically what I'm letting go of. And what I want to call in, what I want to bring in, I would like to actually bring in more joy, joy in my life, joy with how to be here, how to fully be here and not looking at, at doubt or dependence or, or feeling like I, I can't do things. I want to be more connected with the joy in my life and the positivity and moving forward with that. You know, we're going to list obviously your contact information on the website, but is there anything that uh, people should know that they can about anything that you have coming up virtually? You can contact me at my email address. 
It's heart, H-E-A-R-T, of O-F, oak, O-A-K, number eight, heartofoak8 at gmail.com. Also, I have an Instagram. It's at heartofoak8. And then also, I have a website as well. It's www.spirit, S-P-I-R-I-T, oracle, O-R-A-C-L-E, dot com. And we just really thank you so much for coming. And also thank you to our awesome interpreters who have made this possible. Um, You are all really amazing. And it's been a really incredible experience to be able to set this up. Thank you for letting us do this for the first time. Uh, Yeah, thank you. And last two little comments. Thank you to the interpreters for showing up. I really appreciate that. And all of you, thank you for providing them here. I really appreciate it because... In my experience so far with this work, it's challenging for me to find and navigate my way uh, to put myself out, to be visible with my work within the community because there are the hearing witches and they have access and information. And here I am as a deaf interpreter. And, you know, I really can't just kind of come together with people in the same way. So how to get real true access to my work, to put it out there, to, to be seen. It's really been tough here um, in Portland because, yeah, the hearing community, no problem. And I, I kind of have to, like, knock on doors, um, make contact, um, figure out how to collaborate. Um, and people, you know, yeah. So it's say, sure, 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 we'll help you out. But then where's the proof? Where, like, actually, you know, step up. So I'm hoping that um, the dialogue will continue with the the whole community in general to provide more collaboration. So it really honors me and touches my heart that you've offered me this opportunity to come on the podcast and be in this space and that you've provided accessible space for that to happen. So I've really enjoyed this opportunity to connect and I look forward to more opportunities to connect in the future. Thank you. It is our pleasure for sure. We really, really appreciate you being on here. And, um, yeah, for those of, for our listeners, as usual, we're on Instagram, we're on Facebook, we're at thatwishlife.com. We have our Etsy shop. I know every time the, every time someone makes a purchase, it makes the ka-ching like money register sound on Kanani's phone. Yeah. I have a comment too. Last little thing here. And so I'm not on Facebook, so you won't find me on Facebook. I just wanted to let you know that. So it's just the email, the Instagram, and my website. Well, thank you so much, everyone. And to our listeners, we're hope you're, we hope you're hanging in there. And we look forward to hearing from you next episode. Join us on the first and third Mondays of the month for magical tools, tips, and stories about living as a witch in today's world. Find us at thatwitchlife.com for archived episodes or to ask your burning questions for us to answer in a future podcast. Witchcraft, this nails thing is making me really, really ill. <laughs> oh, man. And I, and what's funny is this in no way is stopping me from doing it again. Absolutely. The second they will let me in the door, I will be one of those people clamoring to get in to get them redone and get this fixed. You'll be like that commercial that is at Sears where they were like, open, 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 open. open, open. Oh my God. That's me. I so hate this episode right now. I hate that we're talking about nails. Sorry, sorry. We're okay with it. We're done with nails. So.